Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. So welcome to the Defiant Spirit. I am Rabbi Baruch Levi, Rabbi B, and I am launching this new podcast within the soul-centered family of podcasts called the Defiant Spirit. So welcome to the inaugural flight. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to be unpacking this idea of the Defiant Spirit over the coming weeks, months, years ahead. And in this podcast, just want to share with you a little bit about the inspiration behind Um, This idea, it's not just a podcast, it's also a book I'm working on. It's a curriculum that I've created to teach logotherapy, meaning-centered psychotherapy, and Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. And really, those are the two pillars of um, the defiant spirit, though I draw upon wisdom traditions, other spiritual practices, and ancient wisdom texts. So not certainly exclusive to Kabbalah and logotherapy, but primarily driven by that. I want to tell you more about the Defiant Spirit, but first let me tell you a story. We're going to go back in time. It's a true story. In the 1930s, many of you know your history, in Germany in the 1930s, it was a very difficult time, especially if you were Jewish. This is a story about one man, although this man represents millions of men, women, and children who ultimately felt the wrath of the the Nazis who paid the ultimate price in the Holocaust um, with their lives. And yet this, um, it, sometimes the Holocaust, I think, like anything in life, is lost when the numbers get too big and too overwhelming and, frankly, too impersonal. And so we've really got to come back to personal stories, to personal examples, to bring it home. It's an ancient tale. It's a tale of hatred against people in general, and the Jews in particular, for thousands of years. And yet... This time it was different. In the 1930s, it was more methodical than it has ever been up until this point. It it was more calculated. And and that's really where our story begins, because during the 30s, um, it was a process of reduction, reducing human beings. You know, the Holocaust didn't just happen out of thin air. It didn't just, the Nazis didn't just come onto the world scene out of nowhere. They didn't come up with the final solution to exterminate all of the Jewish people um, at, at the end of you know at this process. It was an entire process that led to the final solution. And it began with, again, this idea of reducing, reduction. In logotherapy, it's the foundational idea of reductionism, to reduce a person or something right, to the sum of its parts, to take away its identity, to strip it of its individuality. And so the Nazis reduced 
the Jewish people slowly but surely. And this one man, his, his whole world was reduced. His earthly possessions were reduced, taken away from him as the other Jews um, were forced to give over their possessions to the Nazis, eventually kicked out of their homes, reduced to living in parts of a city, the ghetto, that um, were, not, were difficult living conditions, reduced taking away their professions, their titles, their, their, their basic human rights, civil liberties, reduced by making them wear the, the yellow star, right, to show that they were other, reduced not allowing pathways out, not allowing them out of the country, reduced um, by taking away their loved ones, stripping you of your family members, your friends, your community. And this man, all of that was true. And he also had his um, wife, taken away from him and ultimately she was murdered and when he was reduced in such a deep uh, profound way reduced by having his parents taken away and ultimately murdered his brother murdered um, everybody I believe except his sister in his life was was murdered this man was reduced to a number the Nazis did what many totalitarian evil regimes do and that's strip away somebody's identity by taking away their name it's harder to murder a name, somebody who you know and you're connected to, than it is a number. And so as part of this final solution, the Jewish people were stripped of their names and given, at least in some of the um, concentration camps, numbers. And his was 119104. Now, he maintained his, his life physically, unlike 6 million other Jews who were literally reduced did you know that uh, the body, the human body, contains enough iron to make a few um, screws and nails and enough skin to make X amount of feet of, of lampshades and enough fat in our bodies to make X amount of bars of soap? But that's what the Jews were. They were reduced to bars of soap and to lampshade and to um, nails and to ashes, ultimately in the crematoriums. And this man wrote the following. When he was getting ready for what he believed was one of those crematoriums, that it was either a shower or a crematorium, it could go either way. This time it happened to be an actual shower, but he thought he was going to the end. And he wrote, while we were waiting for the shower, our nakedness was brought home to us. We really had nothing now except our bare bodies, even minus hair. All we possessed, literally, was our naked existence. This man had everything stripped from him. And yet, I'm telling you about this man because he never um, was reduced to only that number. He was not reduced in many ways at all on the inside. Of course, he went through hell and he barely held on. He contemplated suicide as everybody did in the concentration camps, but he held on. And what allowed him to hold on was what he would later come to call the defiant power of the human spirit. This spark within him, within each and every one of us, the defiant power of the human spirit. And we know this because this man, his name was Dr. Viktor Frankl. Dr. Frankel, sometimes pronounced as Frankel, I go back and forth, was a man who defied his number. He defied the Nazis. He defied the darkness of despair and, and destruction of the Holocaust and, and what he talks about nihilism, of seeing life as meaningless when we could understand having his 
um, his, his wife and his parents and everybody he loves murdered and everything taken away. We could understand if he were to have lost his spark, to have lost the sense of meaning and purpose, but he did not. And he's not the only one. There are many great men and women in the Holocaust who, who didn't make it out, but went to the gas chambers, um, went to their end with the defiant power of the human spirit on their lips and in their heart. And we'll talk about them. There were um, men and women who demonstrated the defiant spirit, which is how I shorten it sometimes, the defiant spirit. Um, other survivors, and we read about them, we know about them, many of them we don't know. They're seemingly ordinary men and women who did absolutely extraordinary things. Not just Jewish. Many of my heroes in the Holocaust are righteous Gentiles, um, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and many others. And we'll probably talk about all of them. And all throughout history, men and women who have defied their circumstances, as Dr. Frankel talks about later on, who defied the odds, defied the oppression, the, the terrorists, the, the, um, the people who imprisoned them. I think of Nelson Mandela, who said something to the effect of, I was in prison, but I was never imprisoned. Meaning I was incarcerated. My body was in a cell, but my mind, my spirit, my defiant power of spirit was always free. That's the defiant power of the human spirit. I've been working on this for years and years, um, but formally I've been working on it for the past year. Working on it as a book and curriculum to teach. I work with clients using the defiant spirit formula. Um, best practice from a couple traditions, I would say two primary traditions that I draw upon heavily, and then interspersed with lots of supplemental traditions and modes and psychotherapies, etc. The two primary traditions that define the defiant spirit for me are certainly Dr. Frankel, his life example, and logotherapy. One of the reasons I'm enamored with Dr. Frankel and logotherapy is because it was born on the battlefield of Auschwitz and Treblinka and the Holocaust. And it was it was technically it was born before that. Dr. Frankel was a practicing psychiatrist um, I think 10 years or so longer before the Holocaust began, before he was certainly put into a concentration camp. But it was proven, let's say, on the battlefield of the Holocaust. And there are many other great um, traditions that I turn to. I'm just off the top of my head, I think of um, positive psychology. I'm a big fan of positive psychology. It was born primarily, not exclusively, on the campus of Harvard. And... You know, just for me, it has different weights, knowing that it, it grew out of a late 20th, early 21st century mindset and set of circumstances. Nothing wrong with it. I'm grateful for having been born into that era and not into the 1930s and 40s. And yet, I turned to Dr. Frankel because his system was battle-tested. And not only is it's not theory, it's, it's real life. This man lived it, came out the other side, continued to live it for another 50 or so years. Logotherapy is meaning-centered psychotherapy, and we're going to be unpacking it in the coming uh, talks, in the coming episodes. But it's really built around the central idea that we have a freedom of will, that we are free. Right? Ultimately, to have this will, to have this choice. And that's our greatest gift, the power to choose. 
we have uh, a will to meaning. This is kind of the Holy Trinity, and we'll come back to this. I'm just going pretty quickly. Uh, there's a whole trinity of logotherapy. We have a will to meaning. That this this will, this desire comes from somewhere deep. It isn't just a, a human instinct, a want or a need. It's a spiritual capacity, and we'll talk about that. And that freedom of will, will to meaning, and then, doing this off the top of my head, and then meaning uh, of life. That there is meaning of life in all aspects of life, in the good times and in the what I'll call the darkness, Dr. Frank will call suffering, or circumstances beyond our control. There's always a meaning to be discovered, not to be made. We don't make meaning. Meaning exists. It exists in another plane, in another realm of the spiritual. Right? Where does love come from? Where does where do ideas come from? Where you know inspiration comes from? Some people may say it's just you know my wiring, it's my neurology. I look at my kids. You know, it's sleeping at night. My, my youngest is still young enough to go in there and stare at him and him not get mad at me. Um, but I just go and I'll look at him sometimes. I'll kiss him goodnight. And I think, you know, how sad would it be if I just chalked all this up to, I don't know, serotonin or whatever's firing in my brain, and the, the, the chemistry. I know it's something more than that, right? I, I know that what I'm feeling for him is transcendent. It comes from somewhere spiritual, divine, transcendent. And the same is true with meaning, right? Meaning is from a, another place, from a deeper place. And our mission is to go find that meaning, discover it. It can be found in all aspects of life. You can um, create things in this world, create art, create you know your work, whatever. You create all kinds of things that can contribute and um, be meaningful. You can discover meaning in them. You can experience meaning. We'll talk a lot about that. How do you experience the world? When I'm watching my son sleep and I'm just felling, as we say in Yiddish, I'm just experiencing a meaning. But the last way for me and for the defiant spirit is the most important. And that is, what do you do when you can't create? Or when, you know, it's hard to experience. Maybe you're, you're lying in a hospital bed. I just found out about a friend who I believe now is, is tragically a quadriplegic, and he, he basically, I guess, I haven't spoken to him, and I guess he can only lay there for now. I had another friend, Marty, who died years back, who was a quadriplegic, and, and yet, you know, Marty, for sure, um, his wife always told me that he, he chose an attitude of gratitude, of meaning, and, and there was meaning in that, right? He discovered meaning while just being able to lay there inside of himself, this attitude um, to respond to his circumstances through choosing to discover meaning in any capacity he could. And that was an internal capacity, and that was a, an internal shift. And we always have that ability to go inwards, to go into the darkness, is what I call it, suffering. But I think darkness is a really good descriptive word, and it just appears over and over again. And, uh, the mystical literature, and so I'll be talking a lot about darkness, but to go into that darkness and discover these sparks of meaning, or in Kabbalah, they're called sparks of light. I wrote another book on this called Spark Seekers, and that's our mission, to go into the dark and find the sparks. So that's really the, the basic tenets of logotherapy. I didn't do it justice, but those are that is what I think of as the Holy Trinity. And, and that's the foundation of this work, certainly inspired out of the life of Dr. Frankel and other survivors and victims of the Holocaust and throughout history, again, not just limited to the Holocaust, and Kabbalah. Kabbalah, 
is my foundation. Um, my Judaism has wavered, been all over the place. But to me, Judaism is the dogma and the systems and the structure. And we need those things in our life. Kabbalah is the spirit, the essence. You don't need to be Jewish to explore Kabbalah, to, to integrate it to your life. And if you're Jewish, you don't need to be observant. It's a, it's a philosophy. It's a worldview. There's really nothing in Judaism that requires belief. Traditionally, there are 613 commandments. None of them deal with belief. Judaism is, is an, a behavioral, an action-oriented religion. So really, it's what you do. And if you do good things, you'll be a good person. You'll get to wherever good people go. I believe in heaven, but another conversation for another day. Um, but Kabbalah isn't a, even so much a doing as a, as a worldview and way to understand the world. It's a sophisticated, kind of an intellectual spirituality. I turn towards Buddhist mindfulness meditation every morning when I sit and quiet myself. That's where I've, where I've drawn most of my um, practice in meditation. But when I study, uh, study ancient texts, I really turn to Kabbalah because it, it allows me or makes me think and question and struggle. The word Israel means to struggle and we're supposed to struggle with the complexities, the challenges of life, the hard stuff. And so um, Kabbalah is... It's a worldview, I think of it in some ways like a blueprint of existence, a roadmap of the soul. And so we'll be exploring different aspects of Kabbalah, especially how it overlaps with um, Dr. Frankel and Logotherapy's kind of call to arms to summons the defiant power of the human spirit to find those sparks of meaning, of possibility, of purpose in the darkness. And that's what we're here to do. Sometimes people say, you know, B, it's so, it's so heavy, it's so dark. Like, why don't we just focus on the sparks and the good times? Frankly, because you don't need me. And, you know, nobody really comes to me on the mountaintop moments when it's kumbaya or when it's happy, go lucky, everything's going well. Usually my clients, my, the people that I work with or uh, seek me out, are coming to me because darkness has descended in their lives. And here's the only guarantee. It's going to descend. I wish I could say the guarantee is there will, there will be light in your life. And I do believe we can discover the light, but it is no guarantee. The darkness is guaranteed. You will experience it over and over and over again. So, you know, if this isn't the right time or place for you, I'm a patient man. You'll probably be back. I hope it's later, not sooner, but we all come back if we want to take back our power when the darkness descends, if we don't want to just grope blindly through the darkness, if we want to have authentic power. I'm not talking about the, you know, the typical type of power that we think of with worldly possessions or titles, jobs, money. That's a form of power, but that's not authentic power. Authentic power is what Dr. Frankel was referring to in the defiant power of the human spirit, the human spirit ability, uh, human spirit's ability to overcome any and all traumas and tragedies, the defiant spirit. I want to share with you um, a really great definition of the defiant spirit. Looking it up, I love technology on the fly. I didn't have it in front of me, but it just kind of came to me. And the defiant spirit is really at the heart of everything now that I'm teaching, that I'm, I'm sharing in my life. Dr. Frankel talks about how this defiant spirit resides in each of us. And 
it's up to us to summon it, to call upon it. And here it is. Actually, I can't find it, so I'm going to hang on for one second. Here it is. The defiant power of the human spirit is man or woman's, he writes in a different era, capacity as a spiritual being to resist and brave whatever conditioning, circumstances, or suffering he or she may face or endure. So that's what we're going to be cultivating, this capacity to resist and brave whatever conditioning, the the forces that happen inside of us, our instincts, our behaviors, our patterns, right? We can break through them. I counsel a lot of people battling with addictions and and so overcoming our addictions, our behaviors, our conditioning, our circumstances, right? Things outside of us, which are by definition always outside of our control, even when we have no control outside of us, especially then, we need to find it within us, the defiant spirit and suffering, right? Again, the darkness when it descends in our life and we can face it, we can endure it, and we can transform it. And really, that's the message of Kabbalah, of Judaism, of Kabbalah, to transform darkness into light, to make the impossible possible. I'm not going to go deep into it. We'll save it for another day. But the, the Torah opens up with the creation story in darkness. And what's the first act of the divine? To dispel the darkness through creating light. And so we're going to be looking at all the different ways as human beings we have this spiritual capacity to defy the darkness, to defy it in our own lives, and to defy it in the lives of others. Ultimately, we're not here for ourselves. We're, we're here to transcend ourselves. Foundational idea in logotherapy, to illuminate the darkness for others, and not just for ourselves. The Kabbalah talks about Lador Vador, generational illumination. We're here to illuminate the way for those who walk in our footsteps. And we have light because of those who came before us and in whose footsteps we walk. So this is the defiant spirit. I'm just thrilled to launch it. I, I decided not to wait till it's fully cooked, though it's pretty far along. Um, you're going to help me shape it and shift it and make sure that it is alive and real as Dr. Frankel's logotherapy was during the Holocaust and afterwards. And so I'm really honored and privileged to be continuing this great man's message and mission and the eternal and timeless mission of Kabbalah and the Jewish people to defy the darkness, to live the light and share that light with the world. And so I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at B-A-R-U-C-H, Baruch, at mysoulcenter.org, or jump over to mysoulcenter.org. You can reach me or Ariella there. And uh, share with me your thoughts on this as we shape it together, and stay tuned for more. Until we talk the next time, Shalom, Salam, Namaste, Peace. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Soul Center. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste, and peace.